0: I was recently listening to Radio 4 on my way home from dialysis when a program came on asking for people to make a podcast about living with chronic illness and how it changed their lives and how they dealt with the situation. Well, my name is Brian Benning. I'm 69 years of age, disabled with end-stage renal failure. I've been on dialysis for the last 32 years. Before I begin I must say that I am now a very unrecognised author, saying that one of my books recently received 5 star reviews on Goodreads. I was asked recently by a very famous person to write a piece to inspire people. I will start my podcast by reading out what I came up with. It is called Simply Still Living on Borrowed Time. On November the fourteenth, nineteen seventy-four, at the tender age of twenty-one, I was sitting in the office of my then renal consultant, Mr. Williams. The farmer-like man had a brilliant bedside manner and a nice way of delivering not so good news. He looked up from my treatment notes, smiled, looked me in the eyes over the top of his half glass, glasses, and he said, "Well, wow, Mr. Bennett, it appears that we need to remove your right kidney as soon as possible." The kidney is diseased and slowly killing you. What does that mean, I ask? Well, you can survive quite normally in one healthy kidney, but your remaining kidney is only working at 68%, which means that you will need dialysis at some point in the future. As for your life expectancy, well, you will be very lucky to reach the age of 60. Any questions? Before I can even open my mouth to speak, he was gone, leaving me there on my own, a broken man. I will always remember that day, 1974, but then life goes on, as they say. A few years later and one kidney down, I eventually got back to work. Now married, two wonderful children, Stephanie and Sean, plenty of fishing and shooting, life was great. At this stage in my life I was fishing some of the top teams in the country, winning, giving talks, attending sponsorship, trade shows, demonstrating fishing tackle and generally having a great time. I was so busy for such a long time that I ignored the obvious signs that my health was suffering. At this time in 1986 I was enjoying my perfect job, drying htv one lorries, those are the big bendy ones. My job was to deliver bacon and ham to Scotland supermarket depots. The downside was that I had to spend three or four nights every week away from home, which meant that I was missing seeing my kids growing up. But with the interest rate at 18% I needed to do the hours just to survive. In 1985 my world fell apart. I collapsed one day at work and lost the use of my legs for a few weeks and now I'm afraid that was the end of my working life because my, recane, my remaining kidney was failing fast. We went to, as a family from earning a good wage to living on benefits and I can assure you that that is not an easy transition to make. But when you have no option, what do you do? You adjust and you get on with it. In 1990, that was about the first time that dialysis was ever mentioned to me. This was something I feared more than any other treatment that I'd already been through. More than anything, it was the fear of the unknown. Yes, you see the pictures, yes, you meet the nurses, and yes, you visit the treatment wards. But no one warns you about the pain, the fear, the trepidation, the screams of seriously ill patients. And the nurses search for non-existent veins in reluctant, fragile bodies. Then in 1992, the big day finally arrived, my first dialysis session. It was horrendous. I'd been through a lot of pain in my life, biopsies, investigations into every orifice of my body. Lots of stays in hospitals, form and fistula, but this was something else. It was the one experience that was always stay with me. As with everything in life, you adjust and you settle down to routine. This was going to be it for the rest of my life. When I was drive, four hours treatment, when I was drive back home. Four days every week. That is unless I was lucky enough to receive a kidney transplant. All you ever heard about a kidney transplant are the good things. The successful outcome, the way that life changing procedure will change your life. Yeah, right. I looked at patients, young and old, sick and dying. Just laying there staring at the white ceilings for hours on end. It was as if they had nothing to live for. But this was not for me. So I decided to do something about it. A very good friend of mine, Keith Arthur, said to me one day, always turn a negative into a positive. And it was at this time that a very good teammate of mine, Rick Haynes, was holding a party for his wife's 40th birthday. Well... I had a bit of a joke as a reputation you know a bit of a, a joker so this friend Rick he said Benny I want you to come to the party but you've got to do something stupid and as I said I do like a challenge well what do you do you walk around the charity shops with your wife trying to get some sort of inspiration that was when we saw a silver dress hanging in a charity shop window and it looked as though it fit me and when I tried it on, it did fit me. Well, in places, anyway. With my sisters out, we turned that dress into Dolly Spartan. With the arms of the dress sewn onto the dress, silver wellies, blonde wig and a false boob on each hand, I sang the song 9 till five in front of my teammates and their wives to receive a standing ovation. And that was how I began my charity work, 30 years ago by becoming a comedy drag artist. If you know me and my body shape, then you will will know why I call it comedy drag. At first I raised money for KPA, Kidney Patients Association. That moved on to the Air Ambulance, Sir Richard's Hospice and many other local charities. It wasn't long before I became quite well known in certain quarters, that is, around the clubs and the pubs and that strange, for some strange reason, I was much in demand. All these things helped me to get through this troubled period of my life. I had always been a good organiser of local events, so meals out for 120 anchors with full comedy drag show performed by Otrudy of course. Covers band, transport to and from the venue, it was not a problem. And the whole evening was not only perfect, it was a great success. And I loved every minute of the organisational side of things fishing contests, night sea fishing trips for 40 blokes, karaoke parties, bingo for friends, anything and everything to raise money. I would be there. I mentioned my comedy drag show. This is a list of my alter egos. Dolly Spartan, Shirley Trashy, Tina Berner, Barb Streisand, of course, Marilyn Monroe. Yes, I had the, dra- the dress and the fans. My chosen song for the Blomshaw was... I want to be loved by you. I also did a few other minor stars and a great Fetty Mercury or so I was told and I was (laughs) it was the one you know the way he dressed up as a woman with a short black skirt I even had the same move as the one that he had remember the song I want to break free I had such fun making people laugh what made the whole thing funnier was my body shape let's just say I'm vertically challenged very fat and bold I had a few, a few of the strange strings to my vote. In my quest to raise more, even more money, I sang with local bands. I even raised money by becoming a stand-up comedian. This was done using some of the funny stories from my book, A Bazzi Boy, talks to visiting angling clubs on our local river, organising meals out for fishermen and so on, but my favourite way of raising money had to be performing forties nights at old people's homes dressed in top and tails, I would sing my heart out, just watching the residents as they linked arms and sang along. What's not to like? But then it happened. My first failed transplant, 2007. I'd been called in a few times previously, prepped for the operation, only to be told that at the last minute that the donated kidney was not viable. This was a very bad period of life no one warned you that what happens when a transplant fails you're only ever told about the good things that come out of transplants this miracle operation that's been praying for because you were told that this was the one big thing that was going to change your life because this operation would mean no more dialysis fewer hospital visits holidays being able to do things with the family and to lead a relatively normal life again my first Failed transplant, failed after only a few hours. I was devastated. One of the memories of this time was in ICU and then placed at the back of a ward with patients that received successful transplant. You spend your life asking, Why? Why did this happen to me? The darkness descended very quickly at this time, so much so I gave up on life. After a hot, hot talk with my wife and teenage kids, They all agreed to support me whatever I decided. Whatever it was, it would be okay. What you have to remember is this. My kids have only ever known me to be ill. They knew how much of a toll dialysis hospital stays, traveling, various treatment were taken out of me. I was still in the hospital at this point and going through a really bad time. Maybe it was all too much. However, it was at this time that I decided to write a short story book. It was to be for the grandchildren that I would never see. I called the book simply A Walk with Grandad. It is a quaint little illustrated book about a small child walk along our local river, hand in hand with our grandparent. The book includes some of my poems, pictures of nature, wonders, things that they would see and enjoy along the way. I was very pleased with the result and I had 40 copies printed for family and friends. But since that time, I have sold hundreds of copies. But you have to remember is this. Even though I was in a very bad place mentally, I was still travelling all over the world, all over the country, giving fishing talks, doing my much-loved drag show, singing my heart out and still competing at the top level in my much-loved sport of much fishing, and still winning just as many contests as I had been before. Busy, busy, busy. My daughter was now happily married, and my son had created his own landscaping business. But he surprised my wife and myself one day by suddenly going off travelling. He went to many far-off lands all on his own, a backpack being his only luggage. Then my second failed transplant comes along, again lasting only a few hours. My time in ICU this time was very bad. It was so bad that the darkness had returned with a vengeance, only this time there was no coming back. My nurse, Katie May Harris, was my rock. Behind closed curtains we cried together. She held my hand and we we cried for hours on end. She talked and comforted me, but to to be honest, I was truly a broken man. I felt that there was no coming back from this. But do you believe in miracles? I could not take any more and decided to go home, refuse any further treatment, wait for nature to take its natural course. The day of my discharge from hospital finally arrived. I said my goodbyes to my doctors and staff. Everything was now in place for when my life ended. My wife was so many years and my daughter came to collect me from the hospital. They pushed me to the car in a wheelchair. Once in the car my wife left to return the wheelchair. It was at that, this point that my daughter Stephanie said these life-changing words. I'm pregnant, Dad. What can I say? My granddaughter Clementine saved my life. I am now blessed with a beautiful second granddaughter Beatrice. My girls are my life, and to think that I might have missed out on not, just not knowing them. Loving them as I do, it just doesn't even bear thinking about. What can I say? Since I penned these words, my son and beautiful wife, his beautiful wife, Grace, have blessed me with another granddaughter, Violet. At just seven months old, she is a real cutie. And my other girls love it to bits. What more can a man ask for? living life with chronic illness is a strange thing one day you're okay but then the slightest thing can take you in the opposite direction and life just becomes too unbearable take take recently my best friend suddenly passed away which i found devastating without going into too much detail i did a lot for his family over the following six weeks i sought out stuff that they would not have coped with which I think even though it made me ill to do, I think that doing it helped me to get through the loss of a good friend. If this had happened a while ago, I think the outcome would have been completely different for me. This happened to me a few years ago. My driving loads to be suspended because I was having low low blood pressure issues, falling over, although that's how bad it was. Add to that, I was having hospital transport, which can be a nightmare. Then I got sued over printing the wrong name of my Badsy boy book, which was very strange because the book was only ever meant to be a bit of a, a bit of fun, and the events that happened fifty years ago. But that's life. The book was only ever written to raise money for St. Richard's Hospice. But you know what some people are like. While well, the mixture of all, all these three things was just too much for me. After I'd been dropped off from home from dialysis, I simply climbed into my car and drove away without saying a word to anybody. I had no plan. My only thought that was enough was enough. Before I knew where I was, I was driving down the M5 towards the south coast. And all I could think of was the end of it, to end it all. I knew that missing dialysis and eating the wrong foods would send my potassium through the roof. Therefore speeding up the process. So that was what I did. Full English, fish and chips, chocolate, etc. Well, I was obviously not considered what the chaos that I'd left behind. My wife had called the police, a nationwide search was underway. Police police dogs searched all the local lakes and rivers. Facebook had kicked into action and people all over the country were talking, looking out for my car, my house my computer was searched, the family and friends' houses were searched. My son mentioned to the police that one of our nose was missing, which created panic because they thought that I had gone after the man that had sued me. Naturally, I was oblivious to all this going on back home as I moved from place to place, sleeping in my car and walking the beaches in the daytime. Four days later, the police stopped me with Supermare. I was rushed to the hospital for an emergency potassium test which by some miracle was within its limits. A mental health team was notified to come and assess me. I sat in a small room with a PTSO officer, I don't know his name but he never left my side for hours. He talked about my family life and how lucky I was. He talked about my grandkids and how worried everyone was how not how lucky I was to have them. What he said made a lot of sense, and I'd like to take this opportunity to thank him. Without him, I doubt that I would be here now. On his prompting, I left the hospital before the mental health team arrived and headed home. I was on the M5 when my phone rang, and the mental health people wanted to turn turn around and go back to the hospital. It took me a while to convince them that I was okay. My family had been informed that I was okay and that I was heading home. It was all very strange when I did finally arrive home. My wife had waited up for me, but when—but she never mentioned what I'd done. After a couple of hours of not talking about it, I passed her the suicide note that I'd written whilst I'd been, t- been away. Even today, we have nearly, never really sat down and discussed what I did. The note that I'd written basically said it all i tried counseling but it wasn't for me if i said that i'd never revisited that dark place that would be a lie i don't know about anybody else but that dark place is always there there have even been times when i planned on how to put an end to things but one thing has changed i would try and do it without leaving all the chaos behind as i did before but don't worry too much about it. I'm in a very really good place at the moment before I realised that look it was I have everything that I could ever want, which is the family and friends that love me. My love has changed because as I settle my life has now become settled as I slip quietly and gracefully into old age. I'm still receiving dialysis four times every day. 52 weeks a year, and I still travel one hour each way, what has changed? I am now an author. My life of match fishing is finally over. No more singing, stand-up, or even my comedy drag. My wife made the decision one day when she threw my dresses, except Marilyn, into the rubbish bin. At this point in my life's adventure, I think it's only fair that I mention a tiny bit about my medical history. That way you, the listener, will appreciate how I intend to end this tradition of my life story. Sepsis times two, mini strokes times six, fitted stents in my chest, 36, fitted stents in my heart, one, Fawn fistulas, 14, dialysis lines, the too many to even think about. Low blood pressure. It's usually running about seventy six over forty. I consume twenty six pills every day. I have sleep apnea sleep apnea. I wear a mask in bed every night with air blowing up my nose simply because I stop breathing when I'm asleep. And I do this up to fifty times every night. My time on dialysis is now spent writing. I've been six years now since I thought that my life was over. I'm going to say that again, it has been six years now since I thought that my life was over. Long gone now is the day that I gave up on everything. But to be honest, I am busier now than I had ever been. My list of self-published books, which I'm very proud of. My children's books, The Naughty Gnome, which is a trilogy of funny stories about a three-inch tall gnome that was given life by a fairy after he rescued her from extreme danger. The Naughty Gnome 2, the Naughty Gnome 3. Philomena and the Stolen Kiss, Fairy Book. Philomena and the Sleeping Princess, Fairy Book. Philomena the Farting Fairy. Revenge of Philomena the Farting Fairy. Zola scary Wolf Book. And of course The Walk with Grandad. My Novels. Thumbprint in the Dome. The Ghosts of Level 9. This is the book that received five-star reviews on Goodreads. Into the Void, which is adult only. The Intelligent Gardener, which is adult only. My autobiography, a badsy boy. My fishing book, apparently the best fishing book ever written. A lifetime of match fishing. I've got five YouTube videos, all available on my website, BrianBenetBooks.com. Some of my friends say that I've had a crap life. I disagree totally because I believe that I've had a fantastic life. I've had wonderful loving family. I do not only owe anybody a penny. I have the most beautiful wife and best friend in the world. I tell her that I love her every day and I make her laugh every day. Just remember that we all have bad days. I would not change a single thing Look at what I've achieved in my interesting life. I was brought up in a small country village, which in those days a single telephone box. I'm going to say that again. I was brought up in a small country village, which in those days had one single telephone kiosk. There were many times back then that I would be taken fruit picking by my parents instead of going to school, simply to put food on on the table shooting and fishing are a country boy's bread and butter. As for my childhood, what can I say? The local policeman was a very regular visitor to our house. If there was one thing I could change in my life, it would be that I would have embraced technology sooner. As far as computers are concerned, I will admit that I'm a dinosaur. My biggest bugbear is book marketing. I will openly admit that I've no idea how marketing works. I can write books, I can give talks, organise illustrators, printers, but marketing—I've got no chance. My biggest thrill in life is the thought of somewhere in the world, a child is opening my book on their birthday, and smiling. My one wish in life—I would love to—my grandchildren to be able to see my books on the bookshelves. But unless a miracle happens and I find someone to do my marketing for me, I will have to rely on Amazon. I'm told that I can market my books on Amazon. But how? Follow this link. Follow that link, they say. I don't want to follow links. I want someone in their vast organisation to spend five minutes and do it for me. I would even pay them to do it. I've read books on the subject. I've listened to countless forums and podcasts. But to me they may as well be talking some strange foreign language all i want to do is write books just look at me a country boy not much education not what you call intelligent still good looking well maybe i still <laughs> i still like to make people laugh as often as i can if i can achieve everything that i've achieved with everything that i've gone through in my life just imagine what you could achieve well, here we are always at the end of my story. I'm now sixty nine years of age, disabled with end stage kidney failure. I was still sing in my office, teach fishing and love life. There are many more life's events that I could and should have included in these pages, but I think that it's now for time for my afternoon nap. Well there you go, a quick rundown of my life. One thing I will say, and that is I don't suffer fools. I call a spade a spade, and what you see is what you get. If you asked me to name one ambition in your life, one that I would have liked to have achieved, I would love to have been a country and western singer. My hero is the late Don Williams. When I was driving my lorries, we spent many hours singing together. So much so that I remember one day I was flat out going down the M40 to London when I realised that I should in fact have been going down the M1 to East Kent. Whoops! Early on in this podcast, I mentioned my book, A Badsy Boy. This book is sort of an autobiography. I say sort of, because it is basically a book of funny stories. Not only from my childhood, but also from my other more influential times. I have met a lot of people that have been a big influence in my life. People like the face of Angling, Keith Arthur, Tommy Pickering, Ivan Marks, and of course Bert. Now, Bert and I have travelled all over the country together, fishing, shooting, and some other projects that I can't uh, mention on this podcast. But what I will tell you about a couple of incidents that we had left me breathless from laughter. Have you ever laughed so much that you can't breathe, and you think that you're going to have a heart attack? While well, here two occasions that left me unable to breathe. Bert and I had been to Rosewood Lake where I'd been, on, on coaching, some, uh, I'd been coaching some cockneys for the day. It had been a really nice day. We'd play, been nice company. We'd caught a lot of fish. And where you park for the fishing is at the local pub's car park. As we were stowing our fishing tackle in the car, we received the invitation to have a quick pint or two before we left. Well, you know is that led to a couple more then it was steak and chips then a few more beers that was when I was sat in the corner telling stories as always anyway the time eventually came for us to leave we walked out of the pub into a heavy storm it was absolutely hammering down and the wind was howling where it came from we have no idea because of his eyes Bert didn't like driving in the dark. Add to that the driving rain, gusty wind and a few beers Well, need ice anymore. We had a few uh, I can't say moments but uh, it was when we were traveling down the A46 towards Evesham it was all quiet when Bert suddenly jumped and he called out the words Jesus Christ, that was low. I couldn't breathe I could feel myself getting redder and redder in the face. I honestly thought that I was going to have a heart attack. Bert turned the sta- and looked at the state of me and he began laughing, then crying. All that I could do was make an archer in my right hand backwards and forwards. And when I finally took a breath, I easily burst out laughing. And Bert kept asking me what was wrong. I turned and looked at all blurred eyes and I said, Bert, that thing you thought was a low flying aeroplane was in fact a cargo and of the dual carriageway bridge. And that was all it took for the boats to burst out laughing again. The second time was in the depth of winter. It was freezing cold. There was thick fog running, rolling down the Flat Calm River Avon. Because of the cold, we decided to fish behind my friend's shop, where the water was about 12 foot deep and very slow. Whenever we went fishing, Bert took his one-eyed Jack Russell dog. Uh, She always came along, more often than not, the dog would sleep in Bert's net bag to keep warm. Where we were on this particular day, if the dog wanted to have a little wander, you know, go and have a little investigate, then she was free to do so. We knew that she wouldn't go far. Whilst we had been fishing, we had seen another fisherman further upstream, only he was spinning for pike. When using this method, you tend to move from fishing spot to fishing spot. All was quiet when we heard a single bark followed by sploosh. we both looked round to see the dog standing on the fishing platform wagging her tail <laughs> she had frightened the angler so much that he'd fallen out first into the river in front of her she was looking at him floundering in the river we watched as he pulled himself out of the ice cold water he sat on the bank and removed his boots and emptied the cold water out of his boots the poor bloke had lost his rod, his reel, his bag. He looked up at us accusingly, and we both burst out laughing. But the thing that took our breath away was Bert was trying to whistle the dog to come back. Every time he's burst his lips to whistle to get it to come back, he burst out laughing, of course. The more I looked at him and laughed, the harder it was for him to whistle. Tears ran down our faces as the poor bloke disappeared into the fog. Who he was? We have no idea maybe you had to be there but to us it was quite amusing well i hope these couple of stories have made you smile if you'd like to hear more from that sort of thing check out old man in a chair on my website BrianBennettBooks.com. well now if you've witnessed my sense of humor i've tried my best to make people after all, all through my life in lots of different ways I've raised thousands and thousands of pounds for different charities, from junior fishing clubs to the air ambulance. I sit here in my office in my office thinking about this podcast, and I have to admit that I am really pleased with what I've achieved in my life. A lad from the country, no education to speak of, short, fat, bold, but I like to think that I have very good people skills. I am friends with world champions, England and internationals. I've met many famous people, even got drunk with a few of them. But at the end of the day, I'm still here, almost 10 years past my sell-by date. Still people make me laugh on a daily basis, and I feel great. I just wish that I had some feeling in my fingers and the ability to be able to do a bit more. But all in all, I am happy with my life. I have a fantastic family, great friends, love my grandkids to death. What more could I ask for? Stay safe and many thanks for listening. Brian